make you smile whenever you're sad carry you around when your arthritis is bad all I wanna do is grow old with you I'll get you medicine when your tummy aches build you a fire if the furnace breaks or it could be so nice Growing old with you I'll miss you Kiss you Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is on both The Wedding Singer and The Lovebirds. First, we're going to talk about The Wedding Singer and I'm happy to be joined by my friends Lisa Koshpakti. Lisa, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me, as always. And Denise Ackerman, who we finally got for a non to all the boys of what before movie. Denise, thanks yeah. for joining us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Happy and, to talk about the wedding singer. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Denise is just going to join us for the wedding singer, and then Lisa and I will talk about the new movie from Netflix, The Lovebirds, starring. Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. But first, we're going to start with The Wedding Singer because we're going back and we're talking about old movies, but also right now while the theaters are closed, but we're also doing new ones when they pop up on a streaming service. So this kind of made sense. It was two rom-coms, though I think Lisa and I might have a little debate as to whether or not The Lovebirds even counts as a rom-com because I think that's an interesting question in and of itself. But uh, The Wedding Singer most definitely is. And I thought it'd be an interesting one to revisit because like, I'm, I consider myself somewhat an Adam Sandler fan. I want to talk about our respective Adam Sandler fandoms uh, before we get started, but it was kind of like the one, you know, well-respected Adam Sandler movie that I just had not seen before because I've seen most of the ones we're seeing. And uh, The Wedding Singer is set in 1985, but it came out in 1998. And Adam Sandler plays Robbie Hart, who is a wedding singer in Ridgefield, New Jersey. He kind of works at a, I guess it's kind of his home base is a country club, but I guess he can do events elsewhere too. And he is engaged to a woman named Linda who leaves him at the altar. But then he also around the same time meets Julia played by Drew Barrymore, a nice girl who works as a waitress at this country club. And he befriends her though, when she is in the midst of planning her wedding to this douchebag named Glenn. And at the same time, they Robbie and Julia end up spending more time together. And it turns out you know, there might be something there a little more than a friendship. Uh, guys, I, I want to start with you, Denise, because I know Lissa's feelings about uh, Adam Sandler, and I know Lissa's feelings about this movie. And I would say I've, I, I've, I just know Lissa's taste. I know the breadth of Lissa's taste in movies a little bit more than I can say I do can for Denise. Because, I mean, Lissa has joined me for everything from horror movie to a Harmony Corinne movie, which I feel like it'd be like funny to make Denise talk about a Harmony Corinne movie sometime or something love, like that. Love to, yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, it's just that just shows the breadth of uh, the multitude of uh, Lissa's taste is that she's joined from everything from that to rom-com. She is a true film girl at heart. And whereas I know a few things that Denise likes other than rom-coms, but not really that many of those things which is to kind of my long-winded way of asking denise i'm curious like i'm gonna keep this open-ended what are your feelings on adam sandler in general because i feel like he could he's the kind of person for what i know about your taste maybe he might be hit or miss is what i'm thinking but maybe you love him i don't know what are generally your feelings about adam sandler and the kind of roles he takes and uh what how do you normally feel about his movies I, I honestly like i think josh hit the nail on the head he can often be hit or miss for me i should say that like all of the quintessential Adam Sandler rom-coms, like 51st Dates, which I know he, he stars in with Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. I haven't seen. 
Okay. And I haven't seen, I know, isn't that so terrible? I haven't seen Punch Drunk Love. What I have seen, which is interesting, is Spanglish. Which you're just, you're, you're, really just, you're just killing Listen Allen. I people- know, I know. I saw Spanglish, which I really enjoyed. And I also saw, and this was like, I want to say this was 2010, 2011. I saw it on, on, um, on uh, like an Apple TV. So that's how old this, this sort of dates this movie. But I saw Just Go With It with uh, Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston, which I, I thought was, you know, fine. It was pretty good. Um, but I haven't seen, I think, the de- I think the depth of his, like, romantic roles, really. Although, as I said, I really enjoyed Spanglish and... Um, and just go with it. Spanglish is such a random movie to say you've seen. Because it's like, James L. Brooks has done like so many other great movies. And I'm wondering if you've mm-hmm. seen any of them or if you've just seen Spanglish. Have you ever seen Broadcast News? No, but I was going to. Okay, can you, on my two watch. Okay, yeah. well, th- talk about like an incredible, I think it's there's a lot more going on with it than rom-com. But is there's like mm-hmm. some incredible romantic storylines within it but i think that's like a movie that aspires to be more than a rom-com and i don't say that as anyone that has any kind of antipathy towards the genre as you guys know mm-hmm. i do like rom-coms but i just there's i would hesitate to call broadcast news that but i think you would love it because i mean it involves media which you, you're kind of media adjacent in your professional and uh educational background and there's that there's terms of endearment there's uh edge of 17 he produced which i'm guessing you probably have seen edge of 17 i have seen okay. my point being there's just so much other good james l brooks and Spang if you like Spanglish, I think you would then love that stuff if you like James L. Brooks. But I just thought it was interesting because, like, I he, he does so much other crude stuff that's, like, much more lowbrow than, like, your normal kind of rom-com, which I know you like. So that's why I was curious to know, like, generally, like, what Adam Sandler movies you really connected with, you know? Well, I was, no, and I was going to say, I think I have – I'm someone who perhaps has a low tolerance for super bro comedies. Like, mm-hmm. um, what was so grown-ups – I'm going to be quite honest with you. I don't like Grown Ups 1, and I certainly didn't like Grown Ups 2. Um, that's, I just, you know, the the yoga scene, it's just there's so much going on that I just felt sort of, mm-hmm. the word isn't insulted by. I think there's some, there's, the bro comedy is its own form of, you know, catharsis, comedy, whatever you want to call it. But I I struggle sometimes watching some of it because it, I feel morally opposed when to some of it. Grown come out? Yeah, some of the principles. So Grown Ups came out in 2010. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah. You mentioned Grown Ups. I'm looking at Adam Sandler's filmography now. And listen, yeah. I promise I'll let you talk in a second, but I got to, yeah. I think it's funny. I think it's funny that that's where Denise went with that because, I mean, I, I probably, I know, because I've probably seen more Adam Sandler movies than you, but let's just, at the time, Grown Ups came out a year after Funny People, which is, I, I think, a great movie. I, I just kind of became a Judd Apatow completist the other, other day and watched This Is 40, which he did right after Funny People. Um, I don't think This Is 40 is actually that good, but. It was right after that that he did Grown Ups, and then I did not see a live-action Adam Sandler movie. He had a cameo in Top 5, the Chris Rock movie, which is great, but it's not an Adam Sandler movie. He plays Adam mm-hmm. Sandler when he shows up in Top 5. But I just went, I went all the way from 2010, which is when Grown Ups came out, to 2017 without seeing a new Adam Sandler movie. I, yeah. I, I, and I grew up idolizing Adam Sandler because I probably liked the kind of raunchy Adam Sandler stuff that you didn't like that much beforehand. <laughs> that was all my favorite stuff growing up, whether, I mean, and I, I did like, and I think actually Mr. Deeds is maybe kind of a little more wholesome and you might enjoy Mr. Deeds if you watched it. Okay. Uh, but a lot of the other stuff before there, like, I mean, I love, I, you know, I love Happy Gilmore. I love Big Daddy. I love, uh, mm-hmm. I, I love like Eight Crazy Nights, which is like a disgusting animated movie, but like, it's a great movie going experience I had with my dad and yeah. you know I, I like the water boy and I watched Billy Madison so that was all my stuff and then I just stopped watching Adam Sandler like right around when Grown Ups came out like I didn't watch any of that yep. stuff he had from then until the Meyerowitz stories when he's like oh I'm gonna like go work with Noah Baumbach and like actually like <laughs> 
take a real part. And he's incredible in the Marwood stories. And he reminded you that like, oh, he can be like one of the best actors in the world when he really wants to, if you've seen that, or you've seen funny people, or you've seen Punch Drug Love, or the last year with Uncut Gems. So it's I like was gonna, oh sorry, no, go ahead. No, so <laughs> my my point yeah. being it had been a while, and actually, I should say this. I don't know if you've seen Click, Lissa. Have you seen Click? I have. Yeah, I so, have seen, actually, I've seen Click. Click too. is actually really good, and it it's like legit good. I think if you take out the David David Hasselhoff scene where he farts in his face, it, it's like almost a perfect movie because that feels like very out of place, and it feels more yeah. like a lot of those other movies. Which this is my long way of saying I've been afraid to go back and watch a lot of those movies, like yeah. like funny people or not funny people. Funny people, I think, is different. But like any of those early like early two thousands late nineties stuff, I'm just like I love that stuff when I was fourteen. Am I going to be afraid to watch it as a twenty eight year old? And like, it was going to ruin my memory of like how good that stuff is. Is now that my sensibilities are more mature, am I going to like hate it now if I go back and watch it? That is why I. It's been so long since I've watched like a new Adam Sandler, a, co- a comedy, an Adam Sandler comedy that was new to me until I watched The Wedding Singer. And I knew like at Wedding Singer had good reviews, whereas like a lot of those the other ones that I did love weren't really well reviewed. So that's my, like my really long way of saying like it was a, I have a weird relationship with him where I just went away from him for a while, even though I really respect his acting chops. He just doesn't try and act that much anymore like he did in Uncut Gems or Meyerowitz stories. He just, he just doesn't have an interest. He'll go make the stupid movies for Netflix that pay him millions and millions of dollars. So I just I, I've had a weird relationship with him, and I was interested to go back and watch this one because I knew Lissa really liked it, and I respect Lissa's taste. And mm-hmm. I, but at the same time, I just hadn't gone back to that era of Adam Sandler in a very long time. And I found the wedding singer to be delightful, and I, uh, and and we'll go to Lisa's, We'll go to Denise's thoughts in a second. But I know you're very fond of this movie, Lisa, and I want to ask why. And yeah. you can give us a little context for your Adam Sandler fandom if you want to. But I'm not going to make you go deep like the two of us just did. But I mean, does this stand apart from you in any way to compared to like some of these other movies I'm bringing up? Because I think it is a little. It, it has a different vibe maybe than some of them because it is a little sweeter and right. a little more uh, heartfelt than a lot of the other movies of that time. Or do you like all of them and you just like this one for its own reasons? Right. Oh, you guys are giving me so much to work with. All right, let me try to talk slow. So, uh, so well, I, I did not talk slow, so there's no shame in not, but I never talk slow. <laughs> no, I would listen to myself back on the podcast and I'm like, why do I talk so fast? But um, mm-hmm. it's because I have so much to yeah. get out. But mm-hmm. kind of going off, I'm kind of of actually you guys actually you know josh you brought up a good point about you know being kind of scared to revisit because like for me personally too like i would watch like happy gilmore and like waterboy with my mom growing up and like obviously like we're all like snl lovers and i know Denise and i have talked about that too so like mm-hmm. just growing up with adam sandler on the screen and seeing him in that peak like snl era like that that's kind of why i grew up loving him yeah. but i'm kind of like a secret adam sandler fan didn't you watch <laughs> his comedy like- special like five times 100% I watched five, and it, gets, I was gonna, it gets better every time. Like I feel like I wasn't as a vocal like of an Adam fan, right? Until until you know, I think it was two years ago that mm-hmm. the special came out, and you know, I've heard mixed reviews from all my friends. They liked it or they didn't like it, but like it just proves to me like how talented he is. And then actually, my friend, my friend sent me a, like an outline article that was like Adam Sandler has always made, like has always been a good actor, and like he really has. It's just like. Everyone wants to crap on him for, for a better or less <laughs> word that, you know, because... They, we want him to be better. And just we want, want, we want be him better. to want to be better and have an interest in doing the better stuff. Right. But also, like, we would get bored if he was just good all the time. Like, it's easy to crap on someone. <laughs> he cannot be perfect at Dude, all moments. He, he <laughs> can. He's making his coin. He got he got this, this all these Netflix movie lines mm-hmm. up. He got Happy Madison on the production there. Like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. saying, come to me in his Calabasas home if he has that. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, you know, and, but it's true. Like Denise says, like, he does have the bro you know, the bro movie. Some parts of the movie sometimes. Like, I secretly love Grown Ups, you know, okay, him okay. and Spade and all of them together. Like, how can you? It's, like, classic. I sound like a boomer, but, <laughs> but you know. But long story short. Real you know, comedy. Real, <laughs> I'm not saying it's real comedy, but, like, it's fun to turn on at the end of the day when you, like, don't want to think, you know? You just yeah. want to watch something stupid. But it's not to say that he's a bad person for wanting to do stupid movies necessarily. So that's what my my conflict lies. But I just personally love him. I think he's a really good actor. He's got his coin. So what do you? So, so then, let me ask you: What do you love about the Wedding Singer that maybe sets it apart from some of those other movies? I love the Wedding Singer that's apart from other movies because I think him and Drew Barrymore, number one, have such good chemistry, and you can also mm-hmm. see that in Fifty First Dates. You know, it really when I first watched it, I want to say it was five eight years ago i can't even pinpoint but i'm sure my uncle showed me because he showed me all things that were great in the 80s 90s and it's like you know it's a perfect 80s comedy it's like you know the male lead you know run to get the love of his life and you know the ending scene i don't want to spoil it but come on like this movie's 22 years old say whatever you want (laughs) that's true that's true he gets billy idol's help with me out on the flight if that happened to me (sighs) it'd be game over (laughs) so you know, what is it for me is really nostalgic. It has all that 80s flair. It's a fun movie. Um, and dare I say, it's probably one of my top five favorite rom-coms. So mm. we'll discuss that more, I'm sure. But Wow, yeah. Denise, singer. what did you like about The Wedding Singer? Yeah, well, I want to um, pause it because, or like talk about one thing too, is that like I have been wanting to see the range of, because uh, I, I loved Adam Sandler on, on SNL. So I've been wanting to mm-hmm. see the range of like uncut gems and punch drunk love. And I think what really sealed the deal here is the wedding singer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm someone who, and I'm curious to know what you guys think about this, the trope of weddings gone awry or like leaving someone at the altar in rom-coms is so it's overused, but it, there's something about the wedding that seems like a perfect place to have mischief occur in a rom-com, which I think is interesting. It's like four weddings and a funeral, which I love. I saw my best friend's wedding recently, which mm. I didn't care for too much. But yeah, that's, it's interesting that's, to say that. You know what I mean? And then even, um, let's see, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Either either way, like there's just, you know, there's chock full of like movies in, in the romantic. You know what? Uh, the Wedding Planner, which I, that's actually one of my low-key favorites. I don't, wedding know, I don't know if I've actually J-Lo. ever seen The Wedding Planner. <laughs> with J-Lo and, um, and uh, Matthew McConaughey is actually an iconic film, um, in my opinion, and one of my personal favorites, even though it didn't necessarily, like, critically wasn't a success. I think what I really love about The Wedding Singer is the earnestness of it. I love 80s tropes, 80s music, uh, the fashion. I thought this was so uh, iconic without being overdone in that way. And just like Adam Sandler is such a genuine guy mm-hmm. and it's like, you can't help but root for him. And I thought the dialogue and I, first of all, 100% Drew Barrymore and, and Adam Sandler have this, like this chemistry that transcends like, a I, think trans- I think it transcends, well, di- I, trans- I think it transcends the dialogue, which I'm going to talk about. But. Yeah. It, it, they, they feel, it feels very right and very much, it feels very real fresh like it, it, like you could be uncovering this like the two friends that you're like oh my gosh you guys are going to end up together it feels very much like something that you could see unfold in front of you or like in real life so I thought that was something I really appreciated I liked that they both had different motivations to get married um you know like things that come up you know what what does it mean to marry for security what does it mean to marry for love like in some ways um you know even though we're not supposed to like 
Linda, because she was terrible, she left uh, <laughs> Robbie at the altar, she brings up this concept of security in a marriage at the beginning. And I thought that was interesting that these sort of themes of marriage and love uh, sort of go full circle by the end of it. Um, yeah, I thought the payoff was really good. The fact that, I mean, yeah, Billy Idol's <laughs> feel the deal. Um, you know, there was just so much to love about yeah. this movie. I want to ask you guys a little bit later about just uh, the whole Gwen and Julia thing in the first place and her and whether or not you even bought that she'd be with them in the first place. But I want to back up because I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned uh, My Best Friend's Wedding and that we could, and then and then in the next breath talk about how earnest this movie is. Because one of the things I respect about My Best Friend's Wedding, which I'm also not a big fan of, though, is that it is kind of uh, flips the genre on its head a little bit and it's, yeah. and it's anything but earnest. And I like that it has the balls to go make like a charming movie star like Julia Roberts so unlikable and almost the villain yeah. in a rom-com. And I, and I like that choice. I just find like the actual like setup around the plot of that movie, like so weird and I didn't even buy it. And like, you got to suspend disbelief in any movie for a little bit, but it just seemed like kind of insane that like the, the, the Cameron Diaz in the character in that movie. And I find her totally charming. It's like, you're just ridiculous. Why are you like a rich girl quitting college at age 20 to go follow a sports writer around? Like that's stupid. Uh, why if you're, if she's actually this guy's best friend, then why is she not even know about the wedding until two days before it happens and like it's just so much weird stuff like that that i had trouble getting past and i was like i don't even really buy what is bringing these characters together in the first place and like i just found that like a hard, i had a hard time getting over that even if i kind of respected a lot of the other stuff that movie tried to do whereas here i think one of the things i like most about the wedding singer like you said one is earnestness but two is that it actually has like a reasonable like simple enough setup that just brings two characters together and like lets them talk and mm -hmm. lets them takes its time and has them spend time together in ways that like you end up feeling that chemistry. And I think too often my biggest, my biggest barrier I have barrier I have to overcome with so many movies in the genre is that it throws the characters together and has them fall in love in a five minute montage, which I've talked about a lot on the podcast before, or all of a sudden they get together in the end when they haven't spent like almost any time together, which is kind of what happens in four weddings and a funeral, even though I think that movie has a lot of other stuff going for it is they spend so little time together actually, when you think about it. And then we, we're supposed to buy that they're in love or it's really the same thing. And I, I, and I'm sorry, I, I think actually, I don't think I'm going to offend Denise too much by saying this, but it's my biggest problem with sleepless in Seattle, uh, which like, I mean, and I, I think you're in agreement with me on like nor some of the other nor Efron movies in that eight year span are better than that one. And that's like my Absolutely. biggest problem. My biggest, that, that is my biggest problem with that one. And it's like here, it's like they work at the same place and, and you totally are, you understand their feelings for each other by the end of the movie. And it's just, it doesn't feel too forced. I think it's weird that she would invite a guy to be her right hand man on the wedding planner, but at least it makes sense. He would know wedding vendors. It would just like be very weird. And it almost more makes more sense when you have a husband as disinterested as hers that like that wouldn't be a problem. Otherwise, it'd be kind of weird if someone just invites some guy that they met like two weeks ago to like help them plan their wedding. Uh, so I was able to get past that, but it's like I don't know. I just like I think Lisa talked about it really well, or it's like this their chemistry is just like that good, and I just kind of bought it by the end. And these front guy people spend so much time together just being charming that I was like, all right, like I am rooting for these people to get together, and I totally buy that they would get together as opposed to the movie just telling me, hey, they belong together. Right. Yeah. I was just going to add to, I want to kind of, you know, sneak preview into love bridge really quick, but like, yeah. like I said, you know, Adam and Andrew have such a good chemistry that you actually believe they're in love. And even if like you guys mentioned, you know, it transcends <laughs> this movie because they're probably really good friends, but in love birds, I was going to add to it later, mm -hmm. you know, they feel like really mm -hmm. good friends, whereas not necessarily lovers, but like, so this movie, 
they really have such good chemistry and that's what what makes the end so sweet for me too because you know they're meant to be together and they show it on screen too yeah i guess the, the, one of the better ways in which they show and don't tell which is always a really important thing in my opinion for movies to do is that like I, there are a couple of moments where it's like all right this is silly like he's picking out flowers with her like why is this a thing but then like so i, I wanted a few more of the actual event scenes of the movie because i think those are like electric uh, just to put it bluntly, the effort like, at first I thought that bar mitzvah scene, which Adam Sandler like I'm sure he knows a lot of the little details that make bar bar mitzvahs like awkward things for middle school age kids to go to. <laughs> oh like God. I think I think he just knows that terrain pretty well by being someone that's like mined his Judaism for comedy in the past. And I thought it was going to be like a bunch of cringy stuff in that <laughs> moment where he's just going to go around and have them do uncomfortable stuff with the little thirteen year olds and. It looks like in my head that way for a second, but then it turns into something like way sweeter. I'm still not sure how I feel about the butt touching, but they turn it into like a joke where everyone's doing it. So this is a pre Me Too era movie where, so it's like, I'm not really sure how we should feel about that now. But at the same time, like the movie seems to acknowledge that it wouldn't be okay unless everyone's doing it, I guess. I don't really know. I I, I don't really know how to feel. But if you get past that, like that's a really sweet scene, as is the one where it looks like he's going to sing just a romantic song for julia a little a few scenes later but it then just turns into the song where he is cursing linda <laughs> and i think the way drew barrymore acts when she is just watching him sing does so much of the heavy lifting that i feel like movies usually skip by not having conversation because you could just like watch her fall in love with him just by that the way she reacts to the lyrics in those songs where I think it's like a really cool directing trick, first of all. It, I guess it's the song is called Somebody Kill Me, which is funny mm-hmm. in and of itself for that to be a song that's being sung in a rom-com. But he, he says, there's a, there's a line where he says, I can't believe I found a love that's so pure and true. And then it, it cuts to Julia, and she gives like an expression that like looks like, oh, that's so sweet. And then it's, but it all was bullshit. And then it was a goddamn joke. And then it's a PG-13 movie that makes a really great use of his F-bomb and then goes on to say, and when I think of you, I hope you fucking choke. And like PG-13 movies, they get one F-bomb. And it's like, wow, yeah. that was really intense. And then a couple moments later, part of the, another lyric is, put a bullet in my head. And then it cuts back to her. And then she like smiles even brighter. And it's like, wow, she just gets this guy. Like in some ways you would think, oh my God, she would be horrified. And then as you watch how she reacts, she's like, all right, like she really gets this guy. And I'm just seeing it all on her face because she's giving that great of a performance, which I think is something that's really impressive that this movie does. Anyone else have any other thoughts on the performances? Sorry, no, I just went on a rant. No, no, no. I, well, listen, please. I feel like I've been talking so much, but I, I'll, I'll say that. But I, first of all, talking about the bar mitzvah, um, I thought I had the same inclination that you did, Josh. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, now we're going to make men, boys be men and it's be <laughs> pretty crazy. I don't know how I feel about this. Um, but there's just so many moments of sweetness. Um, speaking about that, between the two of them, you know, just like all of the, I thought it, there's, I thought it was really sweet when, you know, they, they, they get the, the, you know, um, Adam goes along with Drew's character to get the special rate for the wedding and mm-hmm. then they pretend to be siblings. There's just a lot of mischief and like, those are the sort of scenes where you can see the two of them start to fall for each other. That is you a really, know? that is a really great moment. I was saying I didn't like the whole wedding vendor thing, but that actually is a really good scene. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And even, you know what I was thinking about too, is like when they, they do the, you know, can you 
give church tongue, you know, that scene, that kit was super electric. I agree. I, I was like, I could buy it. By that point, I was like, all right, I really, I buy this. Um, and I just, I think it really speaks to, again, their chemistry that just kept, rather than like, you know how some romantic comedies too, is that you can see it from the, the first moment and then it might fizzle out by the end of it. And so they're getting married, but you're like, I don't really buy this. It's just built upon each other. I thought it was like an empirical chemistry, which I thought was really, uh, worked really well and should be, uh, the way it goes in romantic comedies for us to buy that these two people fell in love in between, you know, 90 minutes to two hours. So I, I concur. I thought I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the church tongue thing was interesting because I like that term. I think it's made me laugh yeah. a lot. The idea of church yeah. tongue, but I was like, wait, this is kind of yeah. silly. Like why can't, uh, what, what is, is her friend's name is Holly, right? Uh, I was like, why can't Adam just, why why can't uh, Robbie just kiss Holly? And then she can see what it should look like. But I guess she has to know how it feels. I was like, wait, he can just kiss her and then she could watch because she's just saying, I don't even know what the appropriate amount is. But I guess it's kind of, kind of like a doing thing. Cause I was like, this is a weird contrived thing. And I would rather them like still not even give into that sexual tension at that point. I would rather it still like be withheld and keep building instead of like having a release at that point. But at the same time I was like, okay, like, yeah, I guess they still like handled that pretty well. I kind of just wanted him to kiss Holly and then have Julia get jealous at that point. And that's when she started realizing she had feelings for him. I didn't even think you needed them to kiss, but I thought it still worked fine when they kissed too. It was just kind of like, a, all right, this is like a really like weird setup that almost doesn't seem like it is a thing that would happen in real life as opposed to like her seeing him kissing someone else might have that effect as well. Absolutely. Listen, what, what did you think about how they ultimately uh, developed their feelings for each other? And did it feel true to you too? Um, I think I thought it felt true to me too because I liked also the back and forth. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a straight shot ending because, you know, the part where, you know, Robbie gets a job at the bank because he thinks that <laughs> he thinks that Julia wants someone <laughs> has money and like, why? And well, then Julia's well, like, let me, let, let me, listen, let me ask you that. Did you buy that Julia would even be with Glenn in the first place. Do you think it's like, I mean, or does it even matter? Cause I feel like a rom-com trope is like just the, the heroine is like often with some guy that she doesn't belong with. And it's up to the other right. guy to like, actually like win her over or whatever. But it's like, that guy is such a douche and she is such a sweet girl. But does that even really matter? Like, do, do we need to even buy that in the first place? Or is it like this girl might just think getting married is the thing that you do. And here's the guy that like yeah. showed interest in me. And do we not, should I not be thinking about it that much? That's a good question. I actually didn't even consider that because, you know, it's it's tough because sometimes when you watch rom-coms, you want it to be extreme because that's kind of what you think about when you're but when you're watching Julie as a person, you're kind of like, how was she in Glenn <laughs> in the first place? Yeah. I forgot what city does the does the movie take place Ridgefield, in? It's New a Jersey, small town. Which is an, it's an actual suburb of like New York. It's an actual okay, so it's a, it's like a smaller town. So I guess like I guess you can kind of compromise it by saying, you know, she's from a small town, you know. Sometimes you're from a small town, you look for security versus, you know, who you actually want to be with. So that's kind of how I justified it. But Julia is so sweet compared to the <laughs> Glenn that sometimes if you look too deep into it, you're like, okay, this is a little bit exaggerated. But then going back to the rom-com trope, being exaggerated is kind of the flow of things. So I don't think you have to really consider it for the movie, but... I don't know. What do you think, Denise? Well, I was going to ask Denise if, like, if, like, is it is it better or does it even matter if, like, the other man in her life, if he is actually, like, kind of a viable alternative or something like that, would that have made it a better movie or would that have taken too much time away from the story between the two main characters to even take the time to develop a character that – another character that we like that much? So I've, I've actually – I have some thoughts about this. I'm curious to hear, you know, um, I'm, it's okay if it's – I don't think it's controversial, but – um, I've thought a lot about this because it seems like so many romantic comedies 
rely on the love triangle or for example, um, there's not enough time to develop the main character's love interest that will be discarded anyway. So mm-hmm. they give them un- one to two unpleasant characteristics. So you don't care enough when, when finally some sort That's of a good point. comes in. Uh, I, the way I think about this too, is like, again, you've got me all my favorite rom-com of all time. It's like mm-hmm. Kathleen's, you know, Kathleen's fiance or partner. He's just kind of, um, he's kind of a dick in the sense that like, he's kind of obsessed with his own writing and sorry, go ahead. Melissa. I was like, can we say bad words? Oh yeah, we don't. Want to. We we have the we have the explicit tag on here. I've already I've already oh, said I've already I already read I already read the f song lyric with the f bomb. So you guys can say whatever you want. It's just a matter oh, of if, if you care, if you care other people hearing you say. It, but we literally have the explicit tag on iTunes. Oh wonderful. Okay, so <laughs> given that that's the case, um, he's just kind of obsessed with his own writing, and uh, he he uses a typewriter, which is kind of odious, I guess, um, for a man <laughs> yes. to use. To be honest. Um, for anyone to for anyone to for use anyone after nineteen ninety, to be fair for anyone to use. Um, so by the time she, you know they send each other packing, it's not you don't really care. Um, so I I think one is like we cannot develop all these characters. So then if you get attached, um, I think this is very true in like international dramas where you might see for for example a Korean drama or like a telenovela, you'll have a second male lead. Um, and they have this thing called second lead syndrome where they develop the relationship between that person and the main character enough that people are like, Oh, you know, they should have ended up with X. Uh, so I think given that you only have 90 minutes to two hours to make two people fall in love, the easier it is, the better. That makes sense. The format, because given that's the format that makes sense. I do think, um, I've thought about this before, maybe because I just, troll the subreddit our relationships too much uh, but there are people there's some wild are, stuff in there that it was like yeah, almost you can't even put that you wouldn't even believe if it was a movie <laughs> so people and I, I know i know probably people pitch their weird movies m- movie ideas in in the form of one of the i i, I there's for sure a yeah. ton of troll posts but um people stay together with someone who may not be good for them or vice versa because they're scared of being alone and like scared of the alternative. And so sometimes I wonder like when you're, it's kind of like the sunken cost theory. Oh, I've spent so much time with this person. Of course we'd get married. And I think Glenn sort of touches on that. Like, well, this was the natural ending to the, you know, even though he's not a, not a, a good husband and not a good fiance, like, well, this was the natural progression. We've been dating for four years. So I think sometimes people get caught up in like, Oh, now I have to rebuild what I had with this person with a new person. And, and, and he even says he knows her well enough to know she's a good person. That's not yeah. in it for the money, which is kind of funny, weird thing that even he recognizes. Yeah. Well, it was like, okay, so maybe you should yeah. treat her a bit better. Um, so I think that actually made sense to me that Julia yeah. could be somebody who's so earnest and like, she's waiting for, I think in smaller towns too, you'll often hear like, there is a pressure to get married. You know, um, my, for my family members that live in South America, Central America, people, get married women get married very young you know like in their late teens or early 20s so i think sometimes there can be a pressure to get married and just fulfill that sort of uh milestone like life milestone but so i think that's a good point for this movie though i'm glad that you went there because when you put it in that perspective especially someone that at least as we know julia it kind of makes sense that like she doesn't really she presumably doesn't know a lot outside that town but kind of knows that she wants to like you know, not kind of like 
be alone when she, this is all she's known. Like if, if that's the one real relationship she's known, she might just kind of be compelled to stay on it, staying it for fear of the alternative and just like never really having anything else going for her. It kind of makes a little sense knowing what we know about her. Yeah. yeah. So that, those are, those are my thoughts. Um, have, you ever, have, have you guys seen the movie No Strings Attached? No, but I, it's with them. Is that, that's the, that's yeah. the, that's the, that's the, that's the Ashton Kutcher, Natalie Portman one, but it came, that's you know, nice. where it came out the same year as the Mia Kunis, Justin Timberlake, Friends with Benefits. Uh, okay. but I, but, oh, yeah. I, but I, both about, you know, friends, both movies about Friends with Benefits or whatever, but I, I, I watched it two nights ago cause it was just on Hulu and I was like, oh, okay, well that's easy enough to so just watch it. And it was like, the thing that bothered me in that movie was that like, it was kind of the same thing where it was like. I, well, not it didn't. It was kind of the opposite. Where it was like they, she wasn't even with a guy, but there was another guy that had an interest in her. And I'm like, I would have rather that guy been a character than what the actual barrier was ended up being to those characters getting together. I won't spoil it uh, since you guys haven't seen it, but it's like I think it just kind of depends on the characters you're dealing with. But I think it makes sense in the context of this movie. But I just wanted to bring it up because like she is like the sweetest movie character I can ever remember seeing in recent memory, and like he might be like the worst person I've seen in a movie in recent memory. So it's like, I, does it ruin a movie if it's like? too unbelievable but like at the same time you can kind of believe that a young woman might you know make a ill-advised choice at some point and just kind of stick with it so what what else is there to cover with this one i had like a whole list of other like funny moments but was there were there there any other parts of this movie that you uh that you feel are kind of important to give some attention to Alyssa? um one of my favorite parts is when she she bursts into tears and she talks about becoming Miss Julia Gulia. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why, but that was my favorite part almost. I think one of my favorite parts of the movie, because it was just like, like you kind of like kind of touch upon, like, you know, Glenn is so extreme and everything feels so extreme. But then again, the movie just flows so well that the ending only makes perfect sense. I'm trying to think of other parts. Of well, it. you know, it was funny that you mentioned that because I had that on my list of just like I have a f- other funny stuff list I have right now that I'm looking at yeah. on my computer. And one of the things was like not even her crying about it, but like the first time that uh, Robbie asked Glenn what his last name is. And he's like, <laughs> Guya. And he's like, and he just laughs and said his name's going to be Julia Guglia. Her name's going to be yeah. Julia Guglia. And then Glenn's like, why is that funny? Like, he just doesn't know yeah. why it's funny. It's, really <laughs> it's like the hardest I laughed in the entire movie. It's like, of course, that guy doesn't even think about how that might sound. He's so self-centered. Right. Um, and then Julia brings it up, too, which is funny because, you know, she's thinking the same thing. Actually, let me ask you guys about the ending before I just talk about other random funny odds and ends. Uh, that's a, I mean, there's obviously a, uh, that, that's a trope at the end of rom-coms to have like an end in a big gesture like that. But I think that's mm-hmm. about maybe the best execution you could have of what is generally considered just like a, a traditional rom-com trope. It didn't feel, it still felt really effective to me. Not going to lie. Like I, I, I almost got teared up watching her get teared up and I don't really cry at movies. I don't know. Did, did it, did that do a number on you too, Denise? Yeah, I was I was tearing up by the end of it. You know what it is? It's just there's something very sweet about um, Adam Sandler's voice <laughs> and like the idea of growing old together. Um, the song was very sweet. I, I I think there was, and you know, I kind of love. Um, the, I think this sort of uh, always develops to like various effects or like to various degrees of success when you involve a random mob and you tell them the, the life story and they're like, go get the girl. You know how so many rom-coms have that trope. I, I what immediately comes to mind is enchanted, which I would mm. consider a romantic comedy and one of my all time favorites. It's a good movie. So, yeah. So if you ever want to talk about enchanted, um, Josh, I'll, I'll, I'll sign up because it's one of my favorites. Yeah. I, I think that it just felt so heartwarming to have all these people, you know, when you're on a plane and you have nothing else to do. And finally there is this, this opportunity for entertainment, which working in advertising could very well, like you can just imagine anybody pulling a PR stunt like that. 
Um, but I, I thought it was uh, really heartwarming that everybody was like cheering and it's like, go get the girl. Um, and I, you know, this was a perfect opportunity to bring all of the elements that were introduced at the beginning of the movie. You know, he wants, I, White Wedding was playing, which was so perfect at, at the beginning of the film, you know, and then Billy Idol gets to show up and, and introduce a new White Wedding as well. So I just, you know, I, I think it was um, just a really sweet way to to wrap up this film before they, you know, no wedding. I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, I'm always irked by, uh, you know, if, no one has anything to say forever. Hold your peace. And then somebody yeah. just like, cause that never happens walk, actually. Yeah. They just like slams or where, you know, makes this grand entrance and is like, don't marry them. It's just, it's a little cringy to me. I, it's unbelievable. And I, I just don't like it. So I like that, that this, uh, that, the two of them got together before any of that happened. Right. I, I felt satisfying to me. That's I, I, it's funny that you say that because you know we choose to like be cool with suspending disbelief in like different ways in movies, and I but I totally agree. Whereas like it's it's almost more likely that that has happened more in in the in the history of the world, like someone voicing an opinion at a wedding than someone actually like singing a song in first class to win someone over or something like that. But yeah. like if it still feels like easier to watch and like easier to accept than the alternative that you already mentioned. I I don't know why, but like just having someone profess their feelings in any way, even if it is unrealistic still is something that's easier for us to just kind of get into as an audience than someone just straight up like ruining a wedding. I don't know. It it, it just is. It feels less egregious. Yeah. (laughs) Even though, even though her, her fiance is right. (laughs) Kind of an asshole. So we don't care as we, as we mentioned, but like he'd already admitted to cheating on her. Yeah. I was so mad when they were, and I could tell that, um, sorry, Lisa, I know I want to hear your thoughts about this too, but I could tell when they were having their conversation, when Glenn was talking to Robbie, um, after, uh, after Julia went to the bathroom to like, you know, throw out whatever it was. Um, it was, he was just so nonchalant. Uh, and the way he spoke, he spoke about like this woman as if she's a piece of meat, the, the waitress that was right there in front of them. It was I just was like, I, and you can tell he's holding back what he really wants to say oh, to yeah. you, uh, Robbie. So it was, uh, it was just a lot of uh, disappointment. But yeah, I don't know. Listen, uh, you've obviously seen this more, movie more than both of us, but uh, what do you really like about just that final act? Ugh, okay, you guys made really great points. I'm just going to add that you know I love the final act because kind of going off the trope of like not following along the rom coms of like forever hold your peace, you know. In this movie, you feel like you can you can catch it. You know, you're like, oh, you know, Drew Barrymore is knocking on the plane. You know, Adam's gonna catch her before the plane, and you know, they're gonna he's gonna be like, don't get on that plane or whatever. But she gets on the plane, and you're like, oh crap, like she's gone, gone. Like, like is this over? And then, you know, it feels unrealistic, but also really re- realistic at the same time. If that makes sense, like I'm sure I don't know if they have been. I can't confirm right now, but I'm sure there's been like proposals on like flights and stuff like that. I don't know, yeah. but I feel like there have. I think so. I feel like there have. So, like, yeah, in that yeah. sense, like, the ending could be realistic. And, like, also, it's not every day, you know, that you get, you get like I mentioned before, you get Billy Idol to help to help <laughs> win a girl over. So, it's cheesy in that sense. And then the song, I mean, like, where do we even start with the song? The song is so cute. You know, it's not your typical, it's, it's typical, but it's not. Like, the whole movie, it's just, like, it's typical, it's not. If we have to sign up in, like, to one sentence, that's pretty much what it would be, but... You know, the song at the end is really cute. I think I think it's very realistic. And on like on in terms of bringing it to modern day, 
I like to point out that, you know, the song was also used in Sandler's, uh, Sandler's last special and his most recent SNL, um, appearance. And he actually used the song to pay tribute to Chris Farley. So it, it was kind of a nice, like remembrance of that. So, hmm. you know, going hmm. off all of those kind of reasons, I really love the ending because it feels very sweet. Definitely. Uh, are there, uh, are there any other, other like we, we really talked, we talked a lot about these the two lead performers, but, uh, did you guys have any other of the supporting performances that you like wanted to shout out for one reason or another or a cameo or any of the other, sm- other character moments that you really appreciated and you wanted to just give some love to one of the other actors? Steve, can we just talk about <laughs> Talk about who? I was going to say that, that that was really cool. Like I, I, I had that written down too, where it's like, I just like that. He just happens to be like really good friends with Adam Sandler and that'll show up in a lot of these ridiculous movies though, even though like he's a guy that has been in like other, like very prestigious fair, whether yeah. it be like Fargo or starring on an HBO critically acclaimed drama for five years. And he'll, he's down to just show up and like, just like do a crazy scene in an Adam Sandler movie. I really, I respect that about him. I think what I liked about, and I'm curious to know your thoughts about this, Lisa. And then I, I do have one scene that involves a supporting character. I'm so sorry his name eludes me, but um, I'll, I'll touch on Steve first. I think what I love about um, that, the opening scene of The Wedding Singer is that so much of moments in weddings are unplanned chaos or unplanned moments of like awkwardness, funniness, sort of cringe that we, you know, get off the stage, you know. I, I thought that was so well done because you, you can, you know, you plan weddings are so meticulously planned. People spend up more, sometimes more than a year planning them. And, and mishaps just happen by, because we're human beings and no one is perfect and things can't never just not go off without a hitch. Uh, so I thought that was really sweet. It, it grounded the movie knowing like, again, it's not going to be too mushy. It's not going to be too comedic. And it, it sort of stri- strike that balance. So it tickled me. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. But um, I really liked, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about, about this too. Uh, both of you is that I really like that scene where they're at the bar, um, Robbie with his best friend. Um, and they're talking about, you know, I'm, and Robbie's like, I'm, I'm just going to sleep with women. Like I need to do things the way you do. You know, they break your heart. Um, and, his friend who was talking about Fonzie and sleeping, you know, with all these chicks and like, I'm picking up chicks every other night. He, he talks very seriously about, you know, all, I'm miserable. I feel like I don't, I'm, I'm, I, you shouldn't be envying me because, you know, nobody wants to see Fonzie anymore. Like a 50 year old man trying to pick up a 25 year old or whatever it is. Um, but I, I think it speaks to, you know, men in general. Like I think there is this, uh, there is this need and there is this pressure to, be a ladies man, pick up as many women as possible and like, don't get attached, you know, this aloof nature. And I think seeing both sides of the coin, because, you know, Adam Sandler is someone who's very earnest. You see that with Linda and you also see that with Drew. He's not, he's not trying to seduce anyone or, or, you know, he's, he's just liking who he likes, you know, and then you see his friend who's sort of overcompensating. I just thought it was interesting that you could see both sides of the coin, somebody who is, you know, not committing and isn't happy with that. And somebody who has tried committing twice and it hasn't worked out for him for whatever reason. So I just thought that was a a good, a good, uh, there was a good dichotomy there. Yeah. Two, two things about that scene. Uh, one, I, his friend Sammy is played by Alan Covert, who if you've seen any Adam Sandler movies, you've seen Alan Covert because he's like he like is friends with him dating back to I think college. I think that's where I think they met in college at NYU. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, 
And, Alan's also from West Palm Beach, by the way. I forgot about that. Oh, oh I, I just yeah, I just saw that on his uh, on, on his Wikipedia. But he, he he's someone that's like he looks a lot different in most of the other Adam Sandler movies he's in. Like he has he's like bald and glasses with glasses most of the time when you see him, or or like playing a really crazy character in like heavy makeup slash costume. And like this is a costume and this is a thing with the mustache and the crazy hair. It's a very different character and a much more distinct character, I'd say, than in a lot of the other movies he pops up in. And it's cool because I think it's actually a pretty good performance where he gets to kind of be the ladies' man on the surface, but he has that scene that is very vulnerable. And I agree with Alyssa. Like, I mean, or sorry, I agree with what Denise said, and that I think it's like a it's a cool moment that does stick out in the film because just it's another character getting to have a very vulnerable moment and puts that character in a new light when he's been one thing the entire movie and uh, just kind of says a lot about being someone that's like kind of looking to connect when you're at that point in life. Other thing. Uh, Again, I want to talk about the soundtrack of this movie just in general, but then, which it is really good. Lisa, Lisa just mouth that was really good. You could talk; it's okay. Uh, but uh, I don't care. If, I don't care if you guys interrupt me. I interrupt people way too much. But uh, but but like, I don't know how much I want to talk about it because like, how hard is it really to play a bunch of '80s jams? You know what I mean? Like these are all songs. Getting everybody people, dancing. <laughs> right. Like but like these are all great eighties songs that we've all heard so many other times and it's just fun to hear them played to a movie. So I don't know how hard it is to do that. But I what I liked about the scene in the bar was that like I was like, Oh, cool. Like there was another movie before Call Me By Your Name that like made really good use of Love My Way. Which yeah. I mean I look it's a it's an epic uh, really memorable scene when it's used in call me by your name but here it's being used in a totally different kind of movie but i still think it caught the vibe of that scene like really well it looks like you might agree Lisa. yeah i was gonna say i that's a that's a good point to bring that up the callback yeah. um but it's true because like you know this the it, looking at the track list right now it looks like you know one of those like just dance like eighties versions. Like they just like compiled popular songs yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. If if now you're that's already, what I call music. But you know, if you're our age and you're watching that film for the first time, that could be a great introduction to really good eighties songs too. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of adds to the nostalgia of like watching it after a few years. Like, oh man, these songs are great. And you know, my way was a great choice for that bar scene because it's like they're talking about the ways that each of them love and you know discussing what's the better one but i really love the track list because i think it's a good compilation of like popular 80s songs it might be it might be easy but it's worth it yeah another shout out i want to give is to uh two other shout outs i want to give uh one to uh ellen albertini dow who plays the rapping grandma which was just yeah. delightful. I mean, it's an easy laugh to go for, but it still got me. And mm-hmm. I also thought it was like a very funny and still in some odd way, kind of wholesome scene when she is recounting her past lovers to Robbie <laughs> earlier in the movie. I was like, this is, he, he, it's obviously making him uncomfortable, but it's not, it's not the kind of uncomfortable where you're getting secondhand embarrassment and you're just laughing. And mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed her. Uh, sounds like you guys agree. And two, I, w- I, I thought I, I want to give a shout out to Christine Taylor as Holly, uh, who plays uh, Julia's friend, who people might know Christine Taylor, um, probably most notably from the Dodgeball movie. She's kind of Vince Vaughn's love interest in Dodgeball. But she is she was married to Ben Stiller for a very long time, and like they have kids together and stuff. But I think they got divorced a few years ago. But it's like I was like, okay, well maybe it kind of makes sense that she didn't really do a lot of acting in other movies because it's not like the most memorable performance in Dodgeball. Like she's fine, and she pops up in a few of those other Ben Stiller 
type movies that he directed like Zoolander and Tropic Thunder and stuff like that. But I was like, okay, well maybe it's not that surprising. She didn't do a whole lot of other stuff. Cause it's not like she's like an incredible actress that shows a lot of range, but like, I thought she was like a really a, a different type of character in this movie than the more straight woman she played in the other movies that seen her. in. I was like, I felt bad for her. Like maybe she, that was her choice that like she was just going to kind of stay and raise the kids while Ben Stiller went off and did stuff. But it was like, this showed me you could like actually do another kind of character. And I like kind of wish that maybe you'd gotten out there a little more and done some more stuff. But I, I feel like I just want to give her a little shout out too. Cause I got a kick out of that character as well, especially like when she was like coming on to Robbie and he was just really stupid and oblivious about it. Mm-hmm. Any other final thoughts, Denise, before we uh, wrap this up? No, I mean, again, this was a pleasant surprise for me. This is mm-hmm. one, this one's going to be a comfort one that I'm going to return to. And again, I had never seen uh, The Wedding Singer. I think the next one that I'm, I've been meaning to watch Punch Drunk Love and 50 First, First Dates for a while. So oh, I didn't realize you hadn't seen 50 First Dates. No, I have not. Oh, man. So I know that both of them are in it and their chemistry is world class. I think I'm going to be looking forward to that one very soon. Um, but no, I mean, as I said, my, my parents uh, were teenagers in the 1980s. Um, so I grew up listening to all of these songs. Uh, so it was a pleasant surprise. I, I thought that, again, how are you not going to get people dancing? It was just, <laughs> it was really, what I would say about The Wedding Singer is that it felt, it, there's tropes like any good r- romantic comedy because you, you never want to reinvent the genre. It's very hard to do that, I think. But you, you want to play with it in a way that seems exciting or at least heartwarming earnest. And I think The Wedding Singer did it. Um, I really, really enjoyed um, Adam Sandler's performance and Drew Barrymore. But I think um, it's just like Adam Sandler felt like such a wholesome guy. And like he was just trying his best. And I think that's really important. Because often you, you know, again, in 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 uh, I like enemies to lovers, romantic comedies. Um, but I think building it, it's sometimes easier to do that because passion exists in a, in a hatred, like a, a hate, hate or a rivalry you're just re- you're just like moving that passion into something else but building chemistry is difficult and these two did it quite well i think i agree uh, listen i know you like obviously have lots of feelings about this movie but is there anything else you can say to wrap up or any final point you want to leave us with oh my gosh denise left me in the dust you did a great job i don't even know if i can add anything because <laughs> i'm just happy to be here with you two who have watched it for the first time it's an yeah. honor but, <laughs> <laughs> Like Denise said, you know, the movie does a really good job of, you know, sticking with the rom-com genre, but also kind of twisting in ways that you don't expect. And it makes for it makes for a sweet ending. And and like you guys have mentioned, like Adam Sandler, for me, is not your typical like you're not your typical like Chad, like hot guy and like sweet, like 16 candles or something. But he makes for such a great, wholesome character that like anyone can fall in love with. And, you know, that's why I love the film, because it's a combination of the twist, the music and just the whole story. And fun fact, I'm reading its Wikipedia page right now. I did not know this, but it opened at number two right behind Titanic. Wow. So that's a pretty difficult movie to debut alongside, I think. Right. So they did pretty good. I wonder if they came out the same weekend or if it's just Titanic made so much money that it beat it when the Titanic was like in its third Uh, weekend or something. Because I was going to say, it's pretty impressive that it still made like over $100 million if it came out the same weekend as Titanic. Uh, But but yeah, (laughs) I I guess the last thing I'll say just is that uh, we talked a lot about like what it meant uh, in comparison to other Adam Sandler movies when he started. and, And I'll just say like, 
I guess there's probably no one listening at this point that like hasn't already watched it. But you know, if you know someone that like is hesitant to watch Adam Sandler movies because they think of like what a stereotypical Adam Sandler movie is, I would. But you know, they're a person that likes rom coms or uh, wants a feel good movie because you know who doesn't want a feel good movie in these times? There's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. I would say don't hesitate to recommend this to them, even if they might not typically uh, go for anything that has Adam Sandler in it. Uh, that's what I'll say. I don't think there's. I don't have any other points on the movie itself. Uh, before we sign off, uh, Denise, uh, since Denise is about to leave us, maybe listen. I'll hold our recommendations till the end. But I want to know since you've been cooped up in in Florida uh, for like a couple months, and that's not even where you really live these days. I'm sure you've had a lot of time to yourself, and you've been watching a lot of other TV or movies or consuming media of other types. Is there any other recommendation you have to a listener out there who is just looking for something else to preoccupy their time? Something else that's really been giving you a lot of entertainment and satisfaction over the last couple months? Yeah, so I can say two two I've yes. read two I have two recommendations, two books and two uh and and two TV shows. Um, Never Have I Ever by my queen Mindy Kaling. Mm. Uh, just a delight. I think that it just again, I there's so much I could say about it, but it was just such a great thing to watch. Um, you know, having a character grapple with grief. I thought like a young a young girl like in high school um, in ways that were both self-destructive and enlightening was, was really good. I think, um, yeah, I, if you need something that is yeah. both, uh, touching and really funny, cause I think that the dialogue in that, in that show is smart, but also realistic. Uh, I would definitely recommend it's only like let's say eight to 10 episodes, and 10 episodes fun. that are all like less than half an hour long. Yeah. So that was such a, I watched it in one go. Um, and then I read Sally Rooney's Normal People. And so I wanted to read the book before I watched the show on Hulu. Uh, I think, again, this is not, I won't, at risk of, I'm not going to spoil, um, you know, because there is a love story in between. But it, it's uh, kind of, it's filled with tension, right? There's like class dynamics, class differences, things like that. Um, and so I, I, once I read the book, I needed to follow it up with something a little bit uh a little bit lighter. Um, and so I read this romantic comedy called the flap share, uh, about two people who, uh, are basically sharing one flat in London, but they never see each other. Like they never meet each other. They just leave notes for each other. Um, and so it's a, it, it develops, uh, just like you might like an epistolary novel from the 19th century. I thought it was really well done. Again, I'm going to watch normal people. I've heard really good things. Yeah. Um, but the book was good. I'll be so curious to I see what you think after you watch the show, if you're like, th- if you think it's better to have read the book or not, well, I guess you can't really, you won't be able to speak to it from the perspective of someone who hasn't read the book, but I haven't even started the show, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. So maybe if I actually decide to pick up a book, cause I've been terrible and haven't read since like quarantining started, I've just watched stuff. Uh, maybe I'll, maybe that'll be one I visit. Cause I know a lot of people that have just like spoken highly of the show. I'll say about never have I ever, cause I don't think I've talked about it on the show, but I had, uh, our friend Fred come by, uh, he, when he did a podcast like a few weeks ago, I had not watched never have I ever yet, but he recommended it. So then I, I only heard him talk about it, but I've watched it since. I don't know if I liked it as much as you did, but I still think it's like really worth it. My thing was that like there was like almost too much secondhand embarrassment, embarrassing type of scenes yeah. in there, which like <laughs> your people's mileage can vary with that kind of thing. And there is a lot of it in there. It took me an hour to watch episode two, which is the one where she first yeah. is like invites the guy. Over. What? Yeah. I had to stop it. And yeah, it's like I, I'm someone that like often has to like pause something and just like look away for like 
30 seconds before I gather up the courage to keep watching, which happened a lot in this episode two where she first tries to have sex with one of these characters. And I, I, it took me like an hour to watch like a 25 minute episode of television, but like I still made it through the whole season and I highly recommend it. And at the same time, it's just like, it's a, it's a tough watch if you struggle with that kind of thing like me at times, but a lot of it was still like very charming. And also I, I, I mentioned no strings attached earlier and maybe Lisa and I'll just give her recommendations now. So I don't have to bifurcate this. So you can think for, while, for a second while I talk Lisa, but uh, your queen, Minnie Kaling was also in no strings attached, which again, I watched this last weekend, which has like a wild, wild supporting cast of people. I mean, again, Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher are the leads, but Mindy Kaling pops up. Uh, Olivia Thurlby pops up as Natalie Portman's sister. Kevin Klein is Ashton Kutcher's dad. Uh, Greta Gerwig is hilarious as another one of Natalie Portman's friends. It's just wild based on what we've, we've come to know Greta Gerwig for a much different type of uh, movie over the last five years. And she's just getting jokes off in the movie and it's like hilarious in a, a much different way than I'd ever seen her. And uh, I think I'm forgetting uh, one of the other friends. Oh, Lake Bell is in it as like another possible love interest for Ashton Kutcher. It is just like a loaded cast of people that are all very charming. I don't think it's not an incredible movie, but if you like that kind of movie about, Oh, can people just have sex and just not like catch feelings for each other? Like it's a good entry into that genre of movie. And I recommend it from that perspective. I also watched the bridge on the river Kwai. If you want something more serious on Friday night, which is the best picture winner from like 1957 or 1958 and i've been watching a lot of randomly happen to start watching a bunch of world war ii escape pow movies and uh, over the last few weeks or just uh world war ii heist movies if you want to talk about dirty dozen or great escape and this was the newest one i had watched and as opposed to those other two movies i just mentioned or casablanca which i watched a few weeks ago which is another best picture winner all of those are good what i liked about bridge on the river Kwai is that it, like it, it filmed in sri lanka in like 1957 and like movies that old that are American productions didn't often film in places that exotic. And it's like very colorful and beautiful to look at, but also has like a pretty uh, suspenseful plot where, you know, some POWs are trying to break out of a camp on one end in uh, Japan while, or in Burma while like on the other side of the world, like you have um, coming at them from another direction or some other, like, you know, like a, in a, a British troop of other army forces to try and um, destroy the Japanese people that are holding these people in prison. So it's like a very good war movie that uh, also has some funny moments, but it's also very, very enlightening about what different troops feelings were at the time towards America and how they kind of dealt with how they were going to serve their country. So if you want something serious, do that. Something not as serious, never have I ever. No strings attached on Hulu. Lissa, do you have a recommendation? Oh my gosh. Um, I was trying to think what you were talking about. Have you, have you watched anything like just in the last week? They were like, I really like that. Um, yes. For Mother's Day, my mom and I, we had a FaceTime sesh and we actually chose Dolomite as my name with Eddie Murphy. And I actually really loved that movie and I had heard good things when it came out, but never got around to watching it, unfortunately. So I really like that movie. I recommend it. Um, my roommates and I just watched Dave Chappelle's most recent standup. Was that the one that was kind of problematic? It's the kind of one that's kind of problematic. And he is chaotic, but he is he is hilarious. Bottom line, if you can get up, like, always, yeah, you know, you know, it, it's Dave, but he's so great. Um, okay, and finally, I watched the new Kimmy Schmidt interactive movie, mm-hmm. uh, and it was too short, but it was so good. And I actually hadn't finished season four before watching it, and I still thought it was great. I think this movie was better than Bandersnatch, but in the sense that I liked the options and the 
things that it gave us, if that makes sense without spoiling. I like Black Mirror and I never watched Bandersnatch. I was like, that just sounds like homework. It seems like too much work to have to think about everything. And do I want to go back? Do I want to go back and then watch the rest of it from another point? And I was just like, that seems like a lot of effort. And I don't want to spoil it, but what happens in the bottom line, it's kind of cheesy. You're talking about Kimmy Schmidt or Bandersnatch? Bandersnatch. Okay. Yeah, so those three I definitely recommend. Out of the three, I definitely so, so recommend you, so, you, my name. so you watched the Kimmy Schmidt thing without having finished the series? I did, yeah. Well, see, no, I, I'm the same way. I did not finish Kimmy Schmidt. I watched the first maybe two and a half to three seasons, and then okay. I just okay. wasn't doing it for me as much. And, like, I've gotten better at quitting shows over the last five years. I can, I, I can almost count on two hands how many shows I've just quit, and I'm very happy I started doing that. And Kimmy right. Schmidt, unfortunately, was one of them, and I really liked it at one point, and it just kind of fell off a little for me. I so. know. So that, that was good. We're also, we just started Breaking Bad. My roommates are being very kind and they're rewatching it because I've never seen it. So Ooh. I'm excited to keep you guys posted on how I like that. <laughs> my, my dad keeps calling me for recommendations of stuff to watch because he's like run out of the other things that he knows or like seasons, <laughs> seasons of shows he already watches. And then he watched Ozark and I've never watched Ozark, but everyone keeps Ooh. asking me if I've watched Ozark. But I'm like, dad, like Breaking Bad is like what came before Ozark. And like, it's universally yeah, um, like acclaimed more than Ozark. So you need to watch Breaking Bad. So I've been trying to get my dad to do that while everyone else is trying to get me to watch Ozark. So. Yeah, my sister's uh, all over Ozark right now. So now that you mention it, but I've never seen Breaking Bad. So listen, oh my god, I'm liking it. Uh, I'm. I was gonna watch that on the Wire. Actually, I was okay. Gonna... Watch the Wire first. Okay. okay. Why is my Wire's my number? Wire's my number one of all time. Like Breaking Bad's right up there. But like, if I had to tell you one to watch, I would. Wa- I would want you to watch the Wire. Okay, so that's my. I need some. I need some more drama because I've been watching Money Heist. I guess that's my other recommendation. Oh. Money Heist, La Casa Papel, which is weird. Okay. I will never not be, this is the last I'll say on this, so that we don't make this its own conversation. There is no reason that money heist, uh, which is redundant because most heists involve money in some <laughs> way. Uh, it's just ridiculous to me that La Casa Papel means the paper house, which makes so much sense because in that show, they're trying to rob the Spanish mint. So it's a paper house because it's easily, like, it's easily um, accessed, but it's also made of paper because of paper money. So I was like, just say the, the house made of the paper house. <laughs> Translate it literally. So I ate it right. Okay. Well, I will say... If you are looking to like actually commit to a series, uh, like a five five, because both Breaking Bad and The Wire are five seasons, mm-hmm. I, I would be really curious. Uh, I, my first choice is The Wire, but you can't go wrong if you do Breaking Bad too. But like The Wire is just like my number one of all time. So my homework to you is The Wire, and if you just my movie homework to you would be Broadcast News because I think you would like that too. So okay. we, you got to yeah. report back, and then next time you come on the podcast, we'll get your reviews. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Denise, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, when we come back, we will be talking with Lissa about the lovebirds. Thanks all. Yeah, it was so great to talk. (laughs) All right. Bye. And welcome back. And now I'm joined again by Lissa, and we're going to talk about the lovebirds, which is the uh, newest Netflix release. It was originally going to be a Paramount movie, I think, Lissa. And I guess when a coronavirus happened, they quickly kind of pivoted and said, we're going to sell this to Netflix for the distribution just to like, so it doesn't go to waste and, Instead of holding it to release theatrically, which is probably a smart move. I mean, it seems like it kind of fits well with like what a, a Netflix might release. It it stars. Uh, it's directed by Michael Showalter, who I mean, you, may, you might know from like uh, What Hot American Summer, but he's become a very prolific film director too. And he directed. Uh, uh, he's directed like a lot of like kind of romantic comedies, and he did The Big Sick a couple years ago. But he's also done like. Uh, different twist on the genre because he did uh i think they came together that amy poor's uh 
thing, and then he did uh, Hello, My Name is Doris, which is a delightful movie. I should have told Denise to watch that. That seems very wholesome in, in Denise's lane, too. I think she'd really dig that movie. Uh, but yeah, so he's done a lot of movies that are kind of like in this lane, and Michael Showalter has. And uh, he did The Big Sick with Kumail Nanjiani, who stars in this movie, along with Issa Rae, who Alyssa and I talked about just a couple months ago. Or uh, Actually, again, coronavirus has been a blur. Time doesn't matter. It's been almost three months, I'd say, since we talked about the photograph. Uh, so this is her, that was more of just a straight romantic drama film almost. And here she is doing like, uh, what I, it's been described as some as a romantic comedy. I don't know if I would describe this as a romantic comedy or not, but it stars Kumail and Issa as characters named, uh, Gibran and Leilani, who are a couple who, as we see at the beginning, we see they're kind of like the aftermath of their first meet cute. And it looks like, oh, we might be in for like a very charming movie about two lovebirds. And then we fast forward four years and they've been together the whole time. They're living together and... They're on each other's last nerves, and they are going on their way to a friend's house, but in doing so, when they're driving there, they get in a fight, and they break up, but within five seconds of them actually deciding they're going to break up, they hit a biker uh, while in their car, and they get out to help him, and he bikes away, but then a cop, or someone who identifies himself as a cop, comes up to them, says, I'm a cop, I need to commandeer your vehicle to track down that bad guy. They say, sure, and it seems really fun. We're all having fun. We're watching them cheer on this cop as he tracks down this bad guy, and then he knocks the bad guy off his bike and then runs him over 10 times, and they realize he's not a cop, and then he runs from the scene, and then it looks like all of a sudden they're left with a dead body, and all of a sudden uh, these two people of color have to go on the run because everyone's going to assume they're murderers. And... (laughs) It's a comedy, though, even though that sounds like a very dark and, uh, and point of entry to this movie. And they, uh, a lot of hijinks ensue as they have to try and track down this guy that uh, hijacked their car and is the actual murderer because uh, two white people who – and what is probably my favorite scene of the movie come, a, come upon them and uh, accuse them of being murderers and want to call the cops on them. Uh, <laughs> I First, I want to ask, is this a romantic comedy? Because I, I pitched this podcast to you as, as like we're going to talk about two romantic comedies. We're going to talk about The Wedding Singer. We're going to talk about The Lovebirds because I had heard The Lovebirds described as romantic comedy. Except, you know, when you traditionally think of a romantic comedy, it's two people that at the beginning of the movie are maybe one person or two people that you're following that kind of want to find love. And then they find love at the end after with someone who they might not have been with before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a movie about where it starts out where you see these people have found each other and then they break up. And then they get back together. When you think romantic comedy, uh, does that kind of does this still kind of fall into that category for you, or is it more of like an action comedy about some people that happen to be going through some issues? Yeah, it's actually a really good point that you brought up, and I don't want to get too into it yet because that's a very general question, which is yeah. good to bring up. But you know, like for me, it feels more like a rom drum. Hmm. <laughs> Can we say that? Because the whole you just did you made up a new genre. Go for it. I mean, I'm sure it's a thing, but let's let's call it a rom drum because you know the whole idea of the film is them going through this you know this this event that takes place, and Mm -hmm. in the end, obviously they come out stronger, which is amazing. But it's not your typical rom com, and I think in that sense. I wouldn't like to call it a rom com. I like to call it a rom drum. And romantic dramedy, romantic dramedy. We're going to go with that because, you know, I'm trying to think of another example of a rom-drom. I guess maybe like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, like, because like, you know, it's, it's a, it's romantic, but it's like, they go through so much shit. So yeah, it's a fine line because like the photograph had some really funny moments, but I still don't think I'd call that a comedy really, you know? Uh, right. The I photograph got- for sure was more of a rom-com. You think so? Yeah. See, I see. I, I don't know if it got that tag. It was almost like a throwback romance. It felt like, uh, I don't know. 
It's interesting. I, I don't, we don't need to draw on it too much, but like, I think when I think romantic comedy, I do think like something maybe slightly different from this, but it's still, it, it has two leads that I think have pretty good chemistry, but I think you actually might've liked this movie more than I did. So I want to ask you, uh, regardless of what genre it falls into, I just thought that was a funny question to throw out there because I don't know if it really fits the bill, but at the same time, Michael Showalter has done other movies that I'd say, yeah, maybe are romantic comedies, but like I'd say the big sick is not exactly like a real, uh, what you think of when you think of your traditional romantic comedy either. Cause one of the romantic leads is indisposed for like more than 50% of the movie. It's so there are different twists on the genre. I just don't really know, but what did you think of the lovebirds? Uh, what did you like about it? So I feel bad because I feel like I try to hold my opinions back, but then I always end up tweeting it or letterboxing it. And then you have to see it. So it's I'm a, sorry. No, it's it. okay. I mean, I know you liked it, but I mean, I don't, I don't care if you, if I know what you think going in, as long as you like, right. as long as you promote this and don't just let your tweets speak for themselves. So, uh, and you do, you always do a good job of doing that. So, uh, what, what did you, what did you really like about this movie? So for me personally, you know, we talked about it before when I feel like I have a good formula when I like the actors and I like the director and, you know, I like the, the genre, like it feels like it'd be a good combination. But I think for this film, when I first saw the trailer, I had high expectations, but you know, it's a modern rom-com. And so I, I have my hesitancies because, you know, I didn't really love, you know, what was that Rabbit Wilson? Isn't it pretty? What? Mm. Okay. Isn't, I, isn't she lovely? Isn't it romantic? And then like, I feel oh, pretty came out and like, yeah. they were like very like, so, so rom-com. So I was worried about this one being, you know, kind of so, so, but when it came out, I really loved it for numerous reasons. You know, I don't think this is a film to be dissected for like film Twitter. Like I've mentioned in my review, but yeah. for me on, on like a surface level, I thought Kumail and Issa had really good friend chemistry, not necessarily like lover chemistry, but it's not, um, the movie's, yeah, I guess so. But the movie's not exactly, they talk about having freaky sex, but the movie is not really about that part of their relationship necessarily. Exactly. So it felt more like they were friends, but in that sense, when you view it kind of that way, I feel like they did a good job because, but then again, it's like, is it, is it the wrong title? How are you going to call it lovebirds if they're not right. lovebirds? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of ironic. But for me on a very general level, I love the film because I loved I love Kumail and I love Issa. I think they had a good chemistry, whether it was friend or lover. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm, I'm so happy to have a 90 minute film again and not, you know, something three hour. It was but, under 90, 87 with the credits. So it gets, right? it gets in and like out. Chef's kiss <laughs> out, you know, the plot, the plot obviously was easy, but it wasn't, was easy it though? It, it, it was, I, I would say, cause it was I, easy. I, I did not get into actually what the, heist is they end, or what the scheme is they end up kind of criminal conspiracy is they kind of in, end up infiltrating and i'm not sure i really could it involves some eyes wide shut sex type cult and some right. blackmailing of political figures but i don't totally know what was going going on that was a little out there that was in the outfield that situation that happened but you know the whole point of the film i think is it kept you on your toes the whole time and like i thought i could predict the ending every time or like uh, something was about to happen yeah. and i honestly couldn't i'm gonna be genuine like i couldn't predict it because i was like where are they taking this and i feel like every situation got even crazier which kind of made it like fun for me I, I did some light stalking of your letterbox earlier so <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong but you did not see queen and slim last year I didn't. I know everyone's recommending it to me, but I haven't seen so it. So you do know the premise of it, though? Um, I actually don't. 
Well, so, I mean, the Daniel Kaluuya and Jody Turner-Smith characters, they, they go on a Tinder date, and uh, at the they get pulled over in the car and, uh, and have this unfortunate interaction, altercation with a police officer in which one of them ends up shooting the police officer. It's not a spoiler. This all happens in, like, the first 10 minutes. And then they have to go on the run. Right. And, it's more of a drama. There's a couple of, there's a few, there's funny moments sprinkled throughout it for something that's that dark, but it's largely about these black people that realize they have to, they have to go on the run. No one's ever going to believe their side of the story if they've right. had, to, they shot a cop. And, and that's kind of what it is. And I, I almost went into Lovebirds not knowing anything about it. And like, that would have been very weird for, to go into that, not knowing anything, only knowing the title and then seeing those first three minutes of Lovebirds and then right. having, that would have been really kind of weird and disorienting if that's all I knew. But I was like, and then I happened to see like the one sentence synopsis of it, and I thought, "Oh, that's weird." It sounds like it's almost going to be a comedic take on like what Queen and Slim was, which is very dramatic. And I, one thing I would say that I uh, that I that I really liked about the movie is that because I'm more mixed on it, I think, than you are. But one thing I respected about it was that it doesn't lose sight of the fact that these are two people of color that are in this position, uh, but at the same time, it still manages to be a comedy while taking those concerns into account the whole time, which I think is impressive because that is some, that's a heavy consideration. Uh, mm-hmm. Dealing with like people of color being victims in a murder and having to think about that while at the same time deriving comedy consistently through that, which, I mean, I laughed at some parts more than others, but at the same time, right. my problems with the movie aren't really like its tone necessarily, which I think is like impressive that it found like a good balance where it's like, you're acutely aware of that, and the characters comment on it, but at the same time, they get jokes off too. And that is where I will say I'm most impressed with the movie. Do you agree with that? I definitely agree with you, yeah. Um, and it's kind of ironic, because I really, not ironic, but you know, the funniest parts of the films, I think, were when they commented on race, mm-hmm. and you know, like, when the hipster when the hipster was calling... Also, the hipster is Kat Cohen, which is she's an amazing comedian. So I'm oh, well, not familiar with her, but I really enjoyed that. That was my that was actually probably my favorite scene of the movie, or two, one of my yeah. two favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. So shout out to Kat Cohen. She's the MVP. I'm excited to see her on a big screen. But you know, like at that part where she was like, "Yes, they are people of color, <laughs> but that's not why I'm calling." You know, like it it was a nice touch upon that, which is kind of ironic and exciting because not exciting, but this the the writers of the film are all white, so. It was just like they. I think they did a good job of commenting on that and 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 did, writing did you, the. Did you funny. catch the? Did you catch the joke about the Cat Cohen character that happens a little bit later in the movie uh, during a news report? No, but I remember her face flashing on the screen, but I can't remember what. Well, I don't even know if I, I might have been looking away when her face flashed on the screen. But, but then they have another moment where they they just a news reporter describing what happened. It said two witnesses are being treated for an infliction of emotional distress. Which is like yeah. is like a dig at the white people that are making themselves out to be the victim in that moment. Right. So even if it, yeah, it's too, it's some white people writing a movie about these people of color. Uh, they still know where to like get their digs in and at the at expense yeah. of their own race, which is which is uh, I, I respect. But I, I got that was one of the the few small jokes that I really got a kick got a kick out of later yeah. in the movie. What I will say about that scene is that I liked it because obviously these people are put in an impossible situation and it makes sense to have them make some mistakes throughout. But I think one of my frustrations with the movie was that like they weren't smarter. And that's an easy thing for me to say when I'm not the one that's on the run from the cops and suspected a murder. Of course, I would probably do a lot of things wrong. 
But like one of the things I liked about you know I liked about Queen and Slim was that like it seemed like those people were pretty smart, all things considered. They did some stuff that could be considered dumb. I don't want to spoil it throughout the movie, but there's actually reasonable explanations for it. Here it's like I wanted comedy, but I wanted them if they're going to be in this action movie to kind of be competent at points where they weren't. But like I understood them not being competent and being confused because that's like an impossible situation when people come across you with a dead body. Like how are you supposed to react? And they were appropriately like very baffled with how to explain it, and I got a kick out of that. And then the white people interacting to them, and I really reacting them, and I love that. And I also like the scene in the barn a lot. Where it's just like they got themselves out of a situation, but they did so in a clumsy manner where they didn't do everything right. But there were other right. moments where it was like, all right, you got to be smarter than this. Like, you want me to, like, I want to buy these people as smart. They're professional people that seem very kind of successful and they live in a nice apartment and all that. Like, they should be some level of smart. Whereas, like, Issa or Leilani is like, all right, this is all going to blow over. It's like, no, it's not going <laughs> to blow over. Like, you were caught with a dead yeah. body and they're having to convince her of that. And it's like, you're very naive right now. And I get it, you're panicked. But, like, and Queen and Slim, the queen character, the woman, is like, she's like, all right, we got to go on the run. Like, they just, like, are with it from the moment that happens, and they know what they got to do. And it's like, yeah. all right, that's kind of silly. And, like, there's other moments where it's like, oh, God, now, now I just, I, my, my head jumped ahead to a, a later point I know, in the movie. there's to talk about. Well, well, no, well, no, like, when they have to break in, and they, they get the address of this guy that they believe is the one they ran over. And, like, right. and it, they, they give up when they, uh, they try to kick down this glass door, and instead they have to sneak in and break a window, which I guess it ends up making more sense to do it that way, I suppose. But like, mm-hmm. it's like, you guys could have just like waited outside until someone left the apartment building. <laughs> like you could have tried waiting like 10 minutes. I guess they were kind of in a hurry to clear their name, but it was like breaking and entering just because you see an empty apartment where they did no confirmation for a second. Yeah. They think they broken into a wrong apartment. Cause it just looks like some frat guys having a party. turns out to yeah. be the right one, but it's like, it's really dumb to just break the window with the first empty apartment you've seen when you're not like outside where you can see what the apartment number is. I was like, right. come on, like, be smarter yeah. guys and so these are very big nitpicks but it was like something that was like still kind of yeah. bothering me throughout i don't and i i, I feel like i'm i might be like being too hard on the movie but like i oh. want to see my characters have like some kind of baseline level of intelligence and it seemed like at certain yeah. points like they didn't have i think on a personal level for me like those situations weren't where they weren't the smartest allowed for the room to allowed allowed them room to be to have banter and kind of make funnier points like the part in the window when he was like, you should have kicked it with your shoe. And he was like, well, you should have kicked it with the Healy part of your shoe. Like, I liked that kind of well, I did. Thing. I did like the Mythbuster joke. That was funny. Yeah, he's like, well, that that myth failed. Or, like, they busted that myth. I forgot, yeah. Um, no, yeah, it's a, it's a tightrope to walk. Because uh, yeah. Kumail is very known for Silicon Valley, which I think is a show that – did you watch Silicon Valley? I've seen a few episodes, but I never got to finish it, but I did like it. I think it's more of a kind of comedy where, like, they're riffing and improving, like, in uh, a lot more than maybe something like Insecure. I think it's more of a, it's more of a tightly written show, I'd say. I mean, they have, like, very uh, – they have some very, obviously, sharp joke writers on Silicon Valley, but I think yeah. Kumail is more used to that kind of comedy. So I think – and I'm sure Issa's a pretty talented comedian in her own right in certain ways and can be funny and – so they wanted to give them the opportunities to do that kind of stuff. And I think your mileage is going to vary with this movie some where uh, – let's just say that scene where they have to go get the phone unlocked. And I did not particularly enjoy that. But if you laugh at that, I can't blame someone. You can't really control what you laugh at. But that got right. at some of the more unfor- cringy kind of humor that Issa likes to do on Insecure. Maybe that doesn't work with me where it's like people are just lying badly. And I wanted to mm-hmm. – and I like it when people can like improv and lie their way gracefully in situations. And it's like if you're going to have them ultimately pull it off anyway, then I would rather them like tell more believable lies. Right. It was funny. We were just talking about uh, the wedding singer, and Denise brought up the scene about how 
they uh, they kind of lie 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 when they're at the wedding vendor about being brother and sister. And I was like, yeah. oh, that was very charming and kind of smooth yeah. the way they pulled that off. And it's like, I wish they could watch like watch her and Kumail like actually smoothly lie. Instead, they like give like super clumsy lies and don't really get called out on it. And then it just works itself out. But it's like right. really uncomfortable watching them be bad at lying. And that's I just know. how it is for me. If you laughed, I'm not taking that away from you. But that of kind course. of comedy connects with certain people more than others is what I would oh. say. My friend showed up in a unicorn outfit to like a dinner party. I'd be like, "What the actual?" Well, they did say, "What the fuck are you wearing?" Yeah, but then, they, but then, like, they're like, "Is that blood?" And they're like, "Yeah, I just came from a boxing class." It's like that's an awful lie. Like, how did yeah, you guys not work? How did you guys not work out a better lie on the way over there or something like that? It was more what I was I was thinking. And but the thing is, I was just listening to another podcast about it, the movie, and they like the the, the host of that podcast loved the scene. So it's like, who am I? To, like, that's why it's hard to talk about comedy sometimes, yeah. you know. And I wanted to talk about this one because I think it has other stuff going on. But it's like you can't really help what makes you laugh. So but kind of like you mentioned, like like you know, it's that kind of awkward awkward humor that Issa is known for, and and I think that scene might be biased for people who who do love them because I feel like Kumail and Issa both themselves have their kind of typical acting styles in this film, and if you don't like their styles to begin with, you might not find certain parts of the movie funny. But I actually like their style. Uh, I guess yeah. I don't. Um, no, but you're saying people like who might be. Yeah, there, there are just like moments like that where it's like, if you're going to have like some weird convoluted plot that I really don't want to have to try too hard to follow, I want to get some more out of the comedic aspects of the movie. Again, I, I really love that, that first scene with the white people and the and, and I like the barn scene with Anna Camp, who it was kind of funny getting to watch her be a little more unhinged than she normally is and other stuff she shows up in. That was fun. I really like Kyle Bornheimer, who's the actor that plays like that senator, and he just, he didn't get a lot to do, but I always enjoy him when he shows up and stuff. But I guess one other thing I, do, I will say, I didn't like maybe some of those more stand-up riffy bits, but I did like the action in this movie. And it didn't feel, I don't know, like when they had to fight that frat kid, even though I didn't like how they really got in the building, I liked that fight. And I actually, mm-hmm. ironically enough, I think I, I just talked about that on one of my recent pods where I like, I, which one? Oh, it was when I was doing the, actually, ironically enough, I was, when I was talking about the James Bond movie with Fred and I was talking about Goldfinger and there's like a clumsy fight at the end of that. I like clumsy fights. I've decided I like clumsy fights in movies because too often like some character will just like hit someone in the back of the head and then there's, they're, they're concussed and they're knocked out. And right. it's a way to like not kill someone, but they still like that's not real life. Right. It's like a way to like not kill someone. If you don't want to get that dark though, this movie oddly gets dark with some murders, like not long after that fight. And it's like out yeah. of nowhere, but it's like hitting someone in the back of the head and then having them just be down for the count. It's like, that's not really how it works when you hit someone once. Like, and I, and I kind of like that they didn't get out of it that easily where like that kid is still there. And, uh, <laughs> And he's like, like, what the hell are you guys? What is your deal? And they just get in some stupid argument with them. And it felt like a much more realistic way for that scene to play out than one of these yes. people that's not a professional like fighter by any means or trained fighter just like being yeah. able to knock the guy out. I kind of liked how like the action in this movie wasn't super smooth, but it still felt realistic for how they might get out of the situations they got themselves into. Exactly. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, the whole film. It, I, I, I know earlier you mentioned that you kind of wish they were like smarter or, you know, had more wits about them. But I going off of that, I kind of like that they didn't because it feels more realistic for me. Because like if me and a significant other were in that situation, like we wouldn't know what to do. Like you'd be kind of, you know, just like slapping him the way Issa does because you're like, OK, 
And he's like, I'm cooperating. What do you want? You know, I thought that part was really funny. No, I was going to ask you really quickly, you know, going off all this, how, how would you feel about seeing this in theater? I know that's kind of a big question to ask in the middle, no, that's but a great question. So uh, did you see Stuber last year? I did. And I really liked it, but also I liked it because I liked, um, Dave Batista. Yes. Dave Batista and Kumail's character. I mean, in, in real oh, life. Yeah, so I forgot. Like, yeah. It's another Kumail movie. So, uh, so I saw that. I no, no, I knew it was Kumail, but when I asked you, did you see Stuber? I wasn't even thinking about Kumail being in it. I was just thinking of another comedy that is very similar in certain ways, as far as just like a kind of a movie on a similar scale, as far right. as the stakes and the, 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 the type of action involved. I, I didn't see it in a crowded theater, but I did laugh a lot. Yeah. And there are other people there. And it's like, you just laugh more when you're seeing a movie with other people, which is, that's why I'm glad you brought that up. Because it's like hard to say, like, I, you just, I don't know, you're just more compelled to laugh out loud when you have company, even if it's just like other people in a theater you don't know, if you're just seeing it by yourself with like 13 other strangers or something, it's still yeah, like, it's easier to laugh. So yeah. I think I, maybe I would have just laughed harder. And that's a good point because again, like, like I said, I didn't love the plot. And I didn't love some of the character stuff. I think I would have been a little more bullish on the movie if I just yeah. laughed harder. Did you watch it by yourself too? Or did you like watch it with your roommate? I watched my roommates. Yeah. Did you, so- did they like it too? They liked it too. Yeah, we all thought it was. So that probably all, that probably that might have been the difference. Maybe if yeah. I had not watched it by myself and I watched it with two other people, I would have laughed harder at some of the comedic parts, and I would have like maybe just right. come out of it feeling a little more positively than you. So I think it's interesting that while neither of us had the theater experience, we still had different experiences, and we didn't like right. it the same amount. See, I'm kind of on the opposite end. I feel like this film, even though it was meant for theaters, I. I might not have watched it in theaters. I feel like it was made to be a Netflix movie in 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 a weird way, and I might not have watched it if I didn't have AMC stubs. But I probably would have because you know I want to support uh, a, a PCO, you know POC like lead film. So I'm kind of half and half on that. I probably would have ended up seeing it because I I mean I see everything and I or yeah. I see I see most things and it had enough going for it that it would have gotten me into the theater. Even if you didn't have AMC stubs. <laughs> Oh, I, mean, I, I honestly, that's like an impossible question for me to ask and like almost a whole other podcast in and of itself. Like I'm sure I'll right. do, I'll probably do some kind of like meta or not meta, some kind of like big picture movie business conversation when theaters open again, because yeah. I did a whole podcast. Like this was before I think you had ever done the podcast with me. I did a podcast on like the death of movie pass and, or, or like as movie pass was dying, I mm-hmm. did like something. Cause like the podcast, my podcast was like, movie pass died in July, 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started this version of my podcast in the You're middle right, of, in the middle of June 2018. So mm-hmm. I just started, and I had all these friends, and I was just like, "Hey, like movies have been like really popular this year because of Movie Pass. Come and tell me how it's affecting your life." So maybe I'll do something like that when it comes out. But it's like I have had some form of Movie Pass for about I got Movie Pass in May of 2015. So yeah. I went straight from Movie Pass to AMC Stubbs because I live across the street from AMC. So I've had either Movie Pass or AMC Stubbs for exactly five years now. So I have no concept of like what I would pay for. I, I've, and I've been doing movie podcasting since October 2015. So basically my time having that kind of access to theaters basically is a perfect overlap with me having the podcast almost. So right. I have no concept of like what would get me into a theater uh, w- without having some kind of subscription service. Like I, so that's a question I really got to think about, but, right. but I started just, it's basically like, it was basically like five months before I got movie passes when I started going to the theaters a lot. I was a movie fan before that, but like I started going out a lot, like not long before I got it. And I would have to be a lot more selective. Like, I mean, I would still see stuff by my favorite directors and I would see yeah. stuff that like, got really, really good reviews, but this movie didn't get great reviews. Uh, yeah. And I agree, it's important to support movies 
by people of color, but uh, this is a 58% of Rotten Tomatoes, and I might just say, like, uh, maybe I'll go rent a movie that's better received that was made by a person, of, a filmmaker who's a person of color. Like, I don't know what my calculus would be because, um, I don't know, I, I will see stuff. Yeah. God, you really stumped me. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I got, because I, 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 I'm not someone that's, like, only going to see stuff that's, like, super well-reviewed, but, like, I really haven't got, I really haven't been the kind of person that just goes and sees shit that's under 60% of Rotten Tomatoes since I had movie pass, like it's always been something I've never had to worry about the last five years. I don't right. know. So that, no, that is, that's a really good question. Timing. Yeah. I think it was perfect timing, honestly, going off that, you know, for it to have to go to Netflix. I think they did. I think they did the right choice to be honest. Yeah. I think, I mean, I guess so, but they probably don't do it without coronavirus, you know? And right. I think, who knows, there's going to be a big gap in the movie industry with like production shutting down. And at some point, maybe they'll hold more movies to try and bridge that gap. So there's not like a long dead period at the theaters. Like once they do come back, maybe the, I don't know, there could be a, a deluge of stuff in the fall, but some people would maybe just hold their movies for 2021 for a time when the stuff that was originally being made now would have been coming out. Uh, some of that stuff that already got completed might get held. So who knows? They, they obviously could have just like decided to wait and like release it at a later date. But it's just like you said, it's a movie that in a way just feels like it kind of works on a streaming service more than like other types of movies that you just have to see on the big screen. It's an action movie, but it's not like Mission Impossible. So right. it kind of just makes sense. And I, I agree with you in that regard. Uh, yeah. So probably a smart call by their part especially because it's like a holiday weekend like really smart to do that then where not only are people like a lot of people, you should still be staying inside let me say that to everyone i want you to stay inside don't go out and do stuff yet but like people <laughs> but the fact is people are still starting to go outside more but it's a holiday weekend so there's like more people to watch it too so probably just like a very like perceptive smart decision you know i know that being said i will admit and you know this obviously wasn't like a wasn't a five out of five for me but um so going off that i will admit for me personally, the the Uber scene, the Lyft scene that had to do with them singing that Katy Perry song Firework. was, yes, Firework was not the move for me. I thought that was a little cringy. Um, you know, they had a lot of car scenes in this, which is not a bad thing, but like that, it, that, that kind of shot, you know what we I mean? We just talked about Stuber as a car movie, so it's kind yeah. of like, it's kind of ironic. Uh, I kind of agree. I mean, it is funny watching them sing but at the same time if you want this to be a movie, like kind of a relationship movie too there maybe should have been a little more that went into them like reconnecting exactly and that, that felt like a weird shortcut to get there mm-hmm. uh and like maybe you could have had some other scene where they like i don't know they work it out but instead it's like they have that it's kind of heavy handed when like one friend tells the other, like they each are told by one friend separately at that party. Like, Oh yeah, they actually like you. They tell me all the time. It's like, Oh, maybe right. we didn't have any problems all along. It's not the smoothest way to get them to reconcile. I will say that again, I I'm being pretty negative, but I will say I, I, I rambled a lot when you asked me about my movie going habits. Cause you just caused me to be very introspective in a way that I haven't recently. Uh, but, but yeah, but I, I, I guess what I'll say is that like, this movie, it's they are still giving really good performances, even if we're saying we didn't love what they did on the relationship side of it as far as buying them as romantic partners or romantic right. partners that needed to reconcile. They are still – in Liz's mind, they were very funny when they were going through all that stuff. And I can even admit that I probably would be more on Liz's level if I saw it with more people. Even if I can yeah. agree with Lissa, it didn't need to be in a theater. But I think I – I just think it's probably better to watch comedies with other people in general. Yeah, that's a good point. 
I just think the two of them make the film special and with their performances and, you know, the fun action scenes, I think that's what really makes it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying you should think too hard about this. I'm not saying that you shouldn't think too hard about the film, but, you know, I think it was a good laugh during coronavirus time on a general note. Definitely. And as I think I mentioned or, uh, or actually, no, like I, yes, definitely. And I think that sometimes people want to get and watch sad things to just kind of get in the mood when they've already been sad anyway for something like that. But if you right. are coming along and you're like, all right, well maybe I've been watching the news a little bit too much the last two days and exactly. I, I want to watch something that'll make me feel happier. You can't go wrong with this. You can't go wrong with the wedding singer, which we already talked about. And that's yeah. something that both of these movies, uh, have in common. I, sure. I, well, I will say I liked I did like the last scene. Uh, we didn't really talk about it, but I kind of go just the way. And we don't have to really spoil anything. It's not a spoiler to say these two people survive. Like you know, uh, everyone knows it's a comedy. I thought right. it kind of was of in keeping with some of the other action scenes from earlier in the movie. Again, where it's like these people don't become like kung fu experts or anything uh, all of a sudden to win a fight, but they you know you actually kind of like how they ended up. Uh, getting out of the pickle that they find themselves in at the end. It was kind of a realistic way that two people might overpower someone else that is more skilled than them. And I kind of enjoy, I, I enjoyed seeing that. Uh, there's a, there, there's a plot point or a, a little, po- a, a little bit of a plot point involving a cigarette lighter in a car, which I appreciated. Cause I do think about that sometimes. Like why do cars still are still, why are cars still made with cigarette lighters anyway? Uh, right. And I, I, and I, I appreciated that. It felt like kind of a creative way to like incorporate some kind of new MacGyver type, uh, uh, mechanism into a movie when you know there's only so many different you know actions slash uh, creative escape methods that you've ever seen before and I appreciated that so I thought it just had some other creative moments like that again even if maybe the comedy didn't work as much for me as a viewer watching alone in my living room um, exactly. anything else Lisa? Um, I would say retweet to your comment but, you know, I think, like you said before, like, if, you know, perfect weekend to watch it. It's Memorial Day weekend. Unfortunately, we're recording this on the, the last bits of it. But going forward, you know, time is an illusion during quarantine. <laughs> and if you need a good laugh, you know, The Wedding Singer and The Lovebirds are great. Almost they're almost both an hour and a half film. So it's a perfect watch for your if you want to do a double weekend, double movie weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lisa, do you have any uh, before we sign off? Uh, we already give our streaming recommendations with Denise at the end of the first half of the podcast. But do you have anything else you want to plug any social media or anything else of yours that people can find? Um, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I'm Lisa, Lisa, L-I-S-S-A and then double that. Um, I'm trying to think of other things to plug. Uh, go watch any ABC film right now because I'm yes. obligated to say that. <laughs> yeah, you're being a company woman like our friend Elijah is when he's up over here talking about Turner stuff. Uh, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Jernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Same thing on Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast Gmail is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. Coming up next week, I'm not sure what we're going to have yet. It might actually be another comedy, but I don't want to tease it yet because I don't have it lined up. But again, we're going to keep coming to you every week like we have uh, since the crisis started, talking about stuff both new and old. I'm gonna have, I might have another new James Bond podcast in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so everyone, stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Denise and Lisa for joining me, and we'll see you next time.